Hello, friends and travelers. Thanks for listening. You are riding along on the Hostile Road Trip Podcast. Our mission is to spread awareness of the true hostile experience in the Americas and share stories from the fascinating hosts who create those unique facilities. I'm your host, Jimmy Black, joined alongside co-founder of International Traveler's House, Bobby Dyer, and Eric Faria, co-founder of World Packers. Each session, we sit down with hostile operators or travel influencers to hear about their road to success, discuss trending hostile topics, and close with tips for travelers who are seeking to have the ultimate experience when visiting each destination. You can't afford to miss this trip. Now fasten your seatbelts and let's hit the road. Welcome back to Hostile Road Trip. It's Jimmy Black with my good man and co-founder, Bobby Dyer. Great to be here in Ludlow. Co-founder of World Packers, Eric Faria. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. And the founder and owner of the Homestyle Hostel, Justin. Gentlemen, pleasure to have you in my home. Thank in my you. Hostel. Yes. And Homestyle is such a perfect name because as we just took a tour of this badass establishment it's just got so many cool features to it and the story behind the hostel i'm very excited to jump into this first section so you told us a bit about it and you purchased it in 2014 but give us a little bit of the history of this building it was built as a doctor's residence back when yeah so 1832 ludlow was incorporated in 1761 which is a long time ago yeah started off as a rural farming community however there's a lot of Mines, stone mines, marble quarries, different things all around Ludlow. So it always was a source of wealth. So the wealthy aristocrats from the bigger cities of Vermont would come, do a little bit of farming around here, invest in the land. Plus, we have a river running right through our valley, which means fertile soil for everybody. Absolutely. So a little just salt of history there. Mm. This house was built in 1832 to a Dr. Haven White. It's gone through many transformations since then, but a lot of it is all original. Staircase is original. The flooring was obviously not 1832, but very, very long ago. Yes. And all the wood trims and fine details. Went through many things, but when we purchased it in 2014, it was operating as an art gallery at that point. Which I can see would be pretty cool because it, as we talked about, it's, it's got like a labyrinth to it and so many passageways and you're walking through the house and it was like, I can't believe how big this place is. As you're looking from the outside, you didn't think that it had this much space yeah. in it. So, you know, you could see how it could be used in art gallery, but definitely what a cool space and project for a hostel. And, you know, from some of the things you showed us to the old growth boards that you got in the kitchen there that are, you know, as wide as, what, 18 inches in some of them? 24. 24 yeah. inches. I mean, you just don't see that type of old growth wood anymore. And you've also got old horse stalls in the back that you've kept. What was that that you kept back there? It was an old horse stall, but we needed a restroom for one of our dorm rooms. Yeah. So I took the boards out of the old horse stall and made a bar top out of it. <laughs> Which is so cool because as you enter the first portion of this homestyle hostel, you're very much in a little cozy restaurant bar which we want to dive into a little bit in the next section. But before we do, just to talk more about the facility in itself, in the first portion and upstairs, we've got a lot of private rooms, but then you've got in a cool way and something that I've always enjoyed separated in a different part of the house is the dorm rooms, which gives it that option of the backpacker bunk feel. But then you can still have this social experience by staying in a private room. Tell us a bit about the different style rooms you have here. So we're at the base of Okemo Mountain. People like to call it a four season resort, but it's a three season because 
mud season, aka spring, is not what Vermont is known for. Mud and stick season. Yeah, I'm told. <laughs> that's when we go and travel. Um, so it's a three season resort. It's always been known as a family mountain. Mm. So when we were building the hostel, we wanted to appeal to as many broad spectrum of potential travelers as possible. Mm-hmm. A because it's good for business, and B because with the ever changing economy and the ever changing dichotomy of you know how people spend money and what the family makeup is going to be. Maybe some guys from Manhattan that are young professionals want to come up for a weekend. Maybe a whole family wants to come up, so on and so forth. So we built a suite. We built some private queen rooms. We built a queen room with a bunk bed, private set of bunks, obviously the dorm rooms. Mm-hmm. So we have eight rooms total. And honestly, all walks of life come and stay. And that's what's so cool. And a big part of this podcast series is to highlight that hostels are safe, they're secure, but when you get past those elements, it's not just for the youth. They're not youth hostels. Yeah. And in America, as we're traveling around and going to all these different fine locations, we're finding more and more that the operational setup is set to cater to a wide range of demographic, just like you have here, where you could clearly come as a, a couple getaway, a family with kids, or a couple of backpackers traveling either solo or together on the road. You really have it all. Now, what about price range within these rooms? dorm rooms to privates, what's our our price range? So a lot of people in the area do what they call dynamic pricing. Mm -hmm. So it means it fluctuates throughout uh, the year and the given dates. When we first opened, I was so opposed to dynamic pricing. (laughs) (laughs) I just said, we're gonna keep it real cheap, get our name out there, learn from the moves, see what's selling, what's not selling, and set an aggressive price point, which we did. We started off selling our dorms at 35 bucks with breakfast included and all the amenities that we offer. Great. Awesome. We were getting beat up because a lot of people wouldn't stay in the dorms. They would want to stay in the private rooms. So the dorms were taking a hit because the only way that you can sell a dorm at 35 bucks or 40 bucks a night is if you sell more than one bed. Otherwise you're getting you know, mm-hmm. a private room for 30 bucks. Yeah. So we learned through that. We do do dynamic pricing. I capitulated. I can't. <laughs> we do it now. Um, but it's seasonal and we're right off the long trail. A lot of people like to do the Appalachian Trail. Mm, the um, AT, yeah. Yep, and we're part of it on the long trail. That's the Vermont portion. Okay. So we're about 20 minutes off from that. We kept our dorm rooms at 40 bucks. That's every day, low price. Okay. And then the private rooms fluctuate between $75 is what it starts at and it goes up to $350. And that fluctuates depending on what size room, what kind of room, how many people, the day of the week. All that good stuff. Cool. So you have the range of pricing, the range of experience, and then they've got this ability to enjoy this cool bar and restaurant. But now, how about a little bit of your personal story? How did you find yourself getting exposed to the hospital industry? Was it first as a backpacker, or did you ever work at a hostel before this? How did you get into it? Yeah. I never, ever thought I would ever even work at a, at a hostel or a hotel or anything like that. Yeah. That wasn't my bag. Yeah. Uh, I was a bartender. Okay. I graduated... Black River High School, which is a local high school here, okay. 2006, means I'm 31, <laughs> almost. And I, when I turned 18, I said, you know what? I got to go. I've been in this podunk town, not doing anything forever. I moved out to Boulder, Colorado. I spent Great five city. or six years there, started bartending to pay the bills, loved it. Relocated with my girlfriend, who actually is co-owner of this with me. We've been together for about uh, 11 years. <laughs> Relocated to Saratoga, New York, worked there for a track season. Uh, They're a big horse racing community yeah, there. Yeah. Track season is uh, July, mid-July to, I think, late August. It was a 
crazy six weeks. Saved up enough money to travel South America for a year. Oh, that's where Eric's from. Yeah, all right. Brazil, I'm from Brazil. Nice. Uh, actually, my new bartender over at Main Mountains from Brazil. Oh, he is right. killing it. I'm super happy to have him. Shout out to Gabe. <laughs> so I budgeted out to be $17 a day. We went for 10 months. I started in Ecuador, did three months. Then we went to Peru for three months. I taught kids how to skateboard and surf, which is killer. Awesome. Went to Olivia for three weeks and then went to Colombia for three months. All during that time, because I was living on $17 or $19 a day, I would do work, work trades. I would go up to a hostel and be like, I will work for you, whatever you want me to do. I just need free, free place to uh, crash. Stretch this dollar out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they all open-armed welcomed me. So this hostel is adapted from the South American model of hosteling, which is why there's a bar, why there's a restaurant yes. on site. We want it to be all under one roof. Yeah. Outstanding. Do you have a particular hostel that inspired you or one that... Like there are quite a few. I think the one that we decided this is what we wanted to do was in Minca, and it was called La Casa Loma. Uh, Minca is in um, Santa Marta, outside of Santa Marta, Colombia. Cool. Really started writing the business plan and getting the nuts and bolts to this place there. Oh. Uh, big shout out to Parawana Hostels in Cusco as well. I and know them. Oh, yeah. You'll probably be listening to us. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Parawana, uh, Cusco. Love you guys. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Now, Eric owns World Packers, which is a uh, staffing company. Yeah, sure. That was formed in Brazil, but really is uh, talking about what your experience was, but putting it into the more digital age format where you can find hostile workers with different language sets, skill sets, help set up time periods. So what used to happen organically with you just walking up to him, he's really created the business model out of it for a platform. Well, that's great. great because if you think about how many t- people teach English as a foreign language yeah, Tesla, and, tra- yeah, yeah. and travel is that way uh-huh. yeah. and, or woof working on organic farms, mm-hmm. um, how many people would want to just travel world pack and yeah. stay at hostels, yeah. home run. Yeah. Really of learning, right? Mm-hmm. Great way of learning. If I didn't do hands-on and I didn't actually see the, the nuts and bolts of what this business contains and pertains to, I, you know, I would never have done it. Yeah. And that's so cool because I think we are in similar paths, you know, Bob and myself, if you had told me at any point during my time studying whatnot, that you're going to be in the hospitality industry and you're going to own and run a hostel. I'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is a hostel? You know? So, cause I didn't get to see one until I studied abroad in college and I was exactly. in Ireland and I started staring. I was like, man, if these things were around, my buddies and I would never stay in a hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, where are these places? So that's a big part of what we're doing on this podcast series is just highlighting that there are all of these awesome places that have popped up in the past five or 10 years from people like ourselves that went abroad, saw this experience, realized that we've got to bring it home and we've got to open up establishments and we're on the road taking this hostile road trip to show that you can travel the country by just staying in hostels. Absolutely you can. Mm-hmm. I think our infrastructure is and our how spread out we are yeah. is a major obstacle. Um, yes. But then you look at the market trends and you say, okay, well, big name hotel companies getting into are it. getting into it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're doing it. And there's multi-million dollar hostels opening up in these big city centers. Mm-hmm. And venture capitalists are That's pounding right. down the door trying to buy out smaller operations. So another part of our objective is to highlight the smaller operators like ourselves so they don't get smothered up, mm-hmm. eaten up before the millennial demographic has a chance to experience it. Because I think that the larger operators can't capture the same experience. They won't be able to. Hostels almost by definition are mom and pop. Yes. Um, Because there's something intangible that you bring to the business. Your character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That 
transcends this day. And, and you can really feel it, right? Yeah, similar, those larger companies like Marriott and, you know, Generator and Freehand, they're creating these hostel-like experiences, but at the end of the day, they're just a hotel. So, yeah. you know, it's a clear-cut difference what you get when you stay at a, you know, a premium hostel mm-hmm. versus if you stay Absolutely. at a hotel that's trying to have hostel-like yeah. events, you know. Because so. the, the mom and pop operators got into it because it was their passion and their blood, sweat, and tears was in the walls. You could feel it on the mm-hmm. day-to-day operation. Where these larger operators are getting into it because of the margins. And they're seeing the bottom line and they're wanting to get into that niche of the industry for that reason. But you can tell it's just not the same. The traveler can definitely tell. Yeah, the authentic Mm -hmm. backpacker. He says something before in the other podcast that Mm -hmm. I think is pretty cool. You can't fake party, right? Yeah. And (laughs) time, right? So you've got to be real. It's got to be you. It's got to be real. It's got to be what you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. And you love it. All right. Well, we are just getting some fantastic info here about the Homestyle Hostel here in Vermont, and we will be back after this short break by our sponsors with Justin. We're going to talk a little bit about the trending topic in the American industry of having a bar restaurant in your hostel, since you are one of these operators that has taken that step and obviously knocked it out of the park. All right, stay tuned for more. This podcast is fueled by CloudBeds, the America's premier real-time property management cloud-based software. Managing over 17,000 properties worldwide, including six of my own. Handling all of our needs from managing guests and reservations, distributing room availabilities, saving inventories, and collecting payments. Welcome back to Hostel Road Trip. We are here with Justin. Hey. Bobby. Good to be here. And Eric. Thank you. And we are cruising through another smooth episode in Vermont. What a pleasure it has been to be here. Our third episode in this fine state compared to two in New Hampshire. And we're heading to Maine next to record with the Black Elephant Hostel in Portland, which is a new thriving spot. We're going to be with them tomorrow morning. But we have just had an amazing New England tour. And we're excited to hear more about what uh, Justin's got going on here, but obviously one of the main features is this really cool restaurant bar you have here. And we were just at the Hostel Tevere on the Mad River Valley, and they've got this cool burger bar joint, same type of layout within an old house that's connected smoothly into their hospitality option. And we got to pick his brain a good deal. Giles, shout out to you. And we got to hear his experience of the obstacles of building that bar, having the operation in, the advantage of expanding the financial footprint of your existing guests, but also the wildly advantageous situation of being able to accept people from the outside of the hostel that are not staying there and the profound positive impact that can have on community outreach and your perception within the community. Because a lot of hostels struggle with the neighbors not liking them. So Justin, please tell us more about your experience that was crafted in Brazil, or not Brazil, but South America, and seeing a lot of these operators down there that had the bar inside, uh, and how that's gone for you in establishing a separate business entity or a separate business model or operation within your existing hostel. Yeah. As you guys already know, a lot of South American hostels, the model is all under one roof. Mm. That way they can maximize their profits. When I was writing my business plan in Minka, because the bank... They just look at the cold, hard numbers. They don't care what gut feeling you have. Mm -hmm. So my goal was to try to tell them that the $35 a night traveler is going to be willing to spend $11 on a cocktail. That's a hard sell. That's a tough one. (laughs) That can be a hard sell. 
That's a good point. <laughs> so it took a lot of finesse and a lot of because I'm from here, yes. I understand the drinking habits of the people. Yeah. I understand the moods and the attitudes of the people. And I also understand that I will be probably more welcomed in my neighborhood mm-hmm. as a neighbor yeah. than John Schmo from Connecticut or whatever. Coming Very here. true. Very true. So that's what I hung my hat on in mm-hmm. that regards. I'm a bartender by trade. That's mm-hmm. what I've always really liked to do. Yeah. So, yes, we wanted to open up. Random ass cocktail, a mm-hmm. Negroni, for instance. A lot of people don't know what a Negroni is from around here, so yeah. I would be able to make them their first Negroni, plus all the other experiments. So what I did was I said, okay, well I'll do an eleven dollar cocktail, and I'll do a three dollar PBR. Nice. And I'll fill the gap in between. So the range. Can, yeah, you yeah. can come in, you can have a three dollar beer, you can have a twelve or thirteen dollar cocktail. Totally up to you, up to your budget. Yeah. And I would no shit. Oh, sorry. No, you swear. I. <laughs> I would sit there because people would come up and they say, God, I don't know how you're doing it. Eating and drinking, selling a $35 room. This is great. I'm getting a deal of century. I'm like, cool, man. You're only like 80 bucks from your dinner. <laughs> Just sign there. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get you another beer? Sure, whatever. So by offering a lower price point lodging option and having the ability to not necessarily overserve people, but have them definitely enjoy themselves here, yeah. you're able to get more money. <laughs> yeah, that's a very day. good point. That, yeah, we experience when you have that lower price point, you're freed up a lot of their spending money to that's spend right. it elsewhere. And because they're here, they're spending it with you anyways. That's right. No, I agree. That's yeah. what I was saying. Okay. okay. So, I mean, th- that is a, it's just a great example for people to hear though. In the same way you have your range from the private room that might be over $300 to the bunk that's 35 or 40 you also have within your model of the bar that $3 PBR to that $12 cocktail. That's right. And I also built... So when we first did all the price pointing on these rooms, it was not to exceed $50 per head. Mm. So if you fill the room to the correct amount of people that are supposed to stay in that room, they're That's not spending cool. over 50 bucks a head. That's great. That yeah, was very our Yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely works out well. Now, with the experience you've had dealing with the stigma of hostels having a bad perception, a bad reputation, you know, as a person that was clearly breaking in and making the first ever hostel in this town, and probably the person that might have introduced the word hostel to some people in this town. Sure. How would you say this bar restaurant that's open to the community has helped be a form of community outreach and perception barrier breaking down uh, of the hostel industry as a whole? So I think almost the most important thing is when people come to eat here that don't stay here and are just open to the public, we're known as the hostel. So that right there, will at least destigmatize yeah. it in a lot of people's minds that yes. aren't even necessarily staying here. That's that are great. just, oh, we're going to the hostel for dinner. Yeah. Cool. So they're going to associate, you know, down the road, hostels aren't that bad. Yeah, and I don't awesome. mind carrying that weight, you know, like yeah. a Beatles song. I'll carry that weight. I'll let people know. Old troubadour. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, you know what? I, I've never minded everybody's, you know, got connotations about any word in your life that you've ever heard, personal or societal or whatever, cultural. Mm -hmm. So I've never really taken offense to people that say, oh, are you a youth hostel or I'm a little older or whatever the case may be. I've always explained it to them like, no, you know, we have a guy named Alan who comes every Tuesday with a Miller Lite case and stays in the dorms and skis. He's 83 and he's retired. There you go. You know, it's just... Hostels are for anybody that are looking for a social style of stay. Yeah, that's really what it is. That's a great I way think. of putting it. And I and we all have these same type of experiences. And one of them, you know, we've got a couple of hostels out in San Diego. 
I've got friends that come and visit over the years. I'm like, hey, man, I'll get you a bunk. I'll even get you a private room. And the other response, I'm not doing that that yeah. way. I, mean, I, can get I was in thing. college once. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, yeah. I, I can get a room at the Super 8 and have a better day. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, man, it's so sad to see you blocked from mm-hmm. having this experience because of all the bad perceptions that are out there. So I think it is huge impact that you can have at operators like yourself that they say, I'm going to eat at the hostel. I'm not staying there. You know, I've never heard about it, but I'm going to have dinner there. And I'm proudly saying I'm eating at the hostel because our previous episode with Hostel Tavere, where they had the mad burger joint, that was one of his obstacles. He's surrounded by this condo community of like 100 condos behind him. And at first they tried to stop him from opening. And then slowly but surely they started coming in and eating and drinking. And now they're all regulars. But for the longest time, they had the obstacle of like, I'm going to eat at a hostel. Yeah. This doesn't sound safe. Yeah. Do you find with the guests that come in for dinner or drinks, do uh, you often have a conversation with most of them about what a hostel is and what goes on upstairs? Or Yeah. So I have found that there are certain people that you don't want to stay at the hostel. As mm-hmm. weird as that sounds no, to say, true. Uh, there's a certain type of traveler and a certain type of mindset that allows people to really, really appreciate and enjoy what a hostel can bring for them. And there's other people that just don't. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's totally fine. Bar sitting down, a couple that comes in for dinner. And then you got a guy who comes out of the back room of the dorm with his hair all in place. And then you got a business traveler that comes upstairs. Kind of like a joke, you know, a backpacker, a businessman, Dude, a couple walking to bar. It's going to sound so <laughs> cliche. Yeah. But I've seen more friendships built at this bar than anywhere else in my life. Amen. Yeah, it's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, yeah, they'll yeah. go out and they'll ski together. They'll keep in touch via Facebook or via email. Yeah. And then they'll come back at the same dates and stay yeah. together. It's just, it's it, It's a it's beautiful great. thing. It's very fulfilling. It and it does sound corny sometimes. And it, uh, uh, but I tell my friends that all the time. I was like, man, you feel like you're changing the world one day at a time when you see all these beautiful mm-hmm. relationships being made or these perceptions culturally being broken down because now you've met this guy from Iran and I'm like, all Iranians aren't bad people because, you know, yeah. that team is a great guy, you know? So Stereotypes can be smashed to... Yes smithereens yes. um, at a hostel. Absolutely. It's an incubator in that way of kind of getting rid of those kind of bad vibes and can work out so well to see that happen. We just recently got a postcard. I don't even personally remember the couple, but this guy sent us this long-winded postcard as much as he could fill on it. And so I said, hey, I met my wife at your hostel. We were both traveling solo. We yeah. ran into each other. We started traveling together. We got engaged a year later. We just got married. She's pregnant. I just wanted to say thanks for opening up that shop and having that there. And that, sir, is why we do what we do. Yes. Yeah. They came back and wanted to stay in the same room in the same beds when they first met. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that was cool. Yeah. So you get really cool like stories like that, experiences like that, that I think it's, uh, it's cool for other potential hostile operators to hear about. It really isn't just about the party. It, you know, and it isn't just about, you know, chasing girls or having fun. There's a really genuine, authentic experience that you can have where you do feel like you're having a profound impact yeah. on people's lives and making a positive change. And there's not many jobs anymore that you can say do that. Yeah. You know what's hilarious? I'm still 30, mm-hmm. not 31 yet. You would think that two people that are in their late 20s, early 30s would just have a party hostel. Mm-hmm. I this could not be further from a party hostel. It is so weird. It's very yeah. You can tell we have yeah. it wasn't the natural progression of the place wasn't a party hostel. Mm-hmm. It was more like we have people from the area that'll come and do staycations here for a weekend with all their friends. Nice. And we'll have the same people return to us, you know, season after season, month after month to stay with us, almost for an experience, but not the party experience. Which is so it's so weird because 
I like to party. Yeah, <laughs> we, we love to party. That's so true. But the, the hosteling, the authentic hosteling experience, isn't necessarily a blackout party experience. It's not. It just isn't. It can be. But it can yeah. be sure. But the real one is not. Deep connections. Okay. Yes, Deep that's connections. right. Real connections. I feel mm. like nowadays it's almost like an escape from the online world. Yes. So you don't get those connections and those opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. I think opportunities are made by people. So mm -hmm. you kind of like increase your networking, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say we're, we're so desensitized with all of our apparatuses and iPads and iPhones and everyone's always chipping away. And like, this is one of those raw moments where you're like, I want to turn my phone off and just soak in the people that are in this room. Yeah. And you don't get that much anymore. So I think it's a experience we have to protect in that way and make sure that hostels, once again, are something that operators should be able to shout proudly that I own a hostel <coughs> and not have someone say, are you doing okay? Yeah. Do you need some help? <laughs> I, I fielded that question. I, I think I almost went crazy the first two years because we, we wouldn't be that busy, right? And people come and be like, well, how you doing though? I'm like, it's that look, it's yeah. that look, the hand on the shoulder. Yeah. You're like, you were doing so good I'm before. I'm like, shit, if I go into your doctor's office, there's not one dude in the waiting room. Am I going to go and be like, you guys got everything? You okay? <laughs> it's so true, but you really, it gets you angry. It's I almost like, just had a QuickBooks report. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. How do you like them apples? <laughs> you want to invest? Yeah. I'm looking for some VCs. I just bought the place across the street, all right? That's how I'm doing. <laughs> But it's so true, and it's hard for them to understand or pontificate how this really? could be working. Yeah, you know? and they're more just curious. It's not like yeah. a, a dick remark. No, like, no, no, they're not doing it's it. It's just over way. and over and over again. Yeah, yeah if it comes tough. I, now I, I'm doing it all over again over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Round for two. Pain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back into it here. And we're just having a final time here in Vermont at the Homestyle Hostel of Justice. You stay tuned. So we are here at the Homestyle Hostel in Vermont, just before we travel on to Portland, Maine for our next episode. But we're talking a bit more about what makes this hostel experience special and some of the events and things that you have going on too. But really wanted to first highlight, as we talked a little bit earlier in the episode about, is that this hostel, like most genuine authentic hostels, caters to all walks of life, all ages, uh, all demographics. And as you said, you have it set up so that you have the private rooms to the bunk rooms. Do you say, would you say that there's any operational challenge to cater to all of that demographic under one roof? Uh, short answer is no, because as you gentlemen know, mm -hmm. reading somebody and their body language and being able to have that skill, mm -hmm. if you're the one doing the day-to-day -day operations, you're able to kind of mitigate mm -hmm. and patrol based on that. And also... This is just, the restaurant and bar are so small, it's just a yeah. square. Yeah. So when we're full, we're full. You know, the public is not necessarily integrating with the hostel guests. Mm -hmm. The rooms are all, you know, scattered out throughout this old house, and the public is relegated to right here. Um, yeah. So I don't, I've never had uh, a fight or any sort of argument that's here great. ever. That's great. You know, and, and yeah, knock on wood. And, and I think that's so important for people to know because... A lot of times you would think having a bar inside of this hostel would only throw gasoline on the fire as far as your safety concerns, your liability. But it sounds and looks like to us that you have a, a nice flowing operation to the point where the hostel guests 
are not exposed to any uh, further liability or issues by the restaurant guests and vice versa. So would you say that there's any type of uh, operational tactical strategy you use to have that success or is it just more so the setup and the layout of the building? I'd say it's a combo of both, you know? Mm -hmm. If you're ever gonna be open to the public as a place that offers overnight accommodations, you're gonna wanna segregate those spaces anyway, just by by natural flow of people. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, it sounds so cliche again, I love being full of cliches, (laughs) go with your gut, you know? If you get a bad read from somebody when they first walk in, chances are they're a bad read. (laughs) As we've talked with on other episodes and when we experienced with our our staff when we're training them and they'll ask, but how do you know? And I was like, it gets better with time. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're like a voodoo magic person. Like <laughs> you're a bad ass. You know? <laughs> exactly. It's just calling out. So I, I think that does come with time and the flow of things, but definitely a, a very important aspect to have is when you have those combining of those two groups that you would uh, have it set up so that neither one of them are exposed to any type of uh, liable situation or dangerous situation. You were mentioning that it was a three-season town. What kind of uh, travelers show up in each season, would you say? So we're going into what we call leaf peeper season Mm. um, because our green mountains turn a brilliant gold, orange, and red hue. The foliage. The foliage. So with that brings a lot of international travelers because Vermont and the Northeast, New England in particular, are known as very, very vibrant colors. Mm. So we get a lot of uh, Asian tourism. We get a lot of European tourism. We get a decent amount of Canadian tourism year-round just because we're right next to Montreal. We're like three and a half hours uh, south. Mm -hmm. But I'd say the bulk of our business is Northeast travelers coming up here. By no means does that mean that we don't get international travelers. We do, But But that's been one of the cool experiences we've had on this kind of sector of the the road trip uh, podcast here that we're doing is that in these Vermont hostels and New Hampshire hostels, it is predominantly American staying here. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of the objective of this podcast series is to bring awareness to the American demographic to try out hostels. So we've been very encouraged to see how many Americans are meeting on the road, staying at these hostels. As we were at the Burlington Hostel last night where we did an episode last night, I don't know if I ran into an international person there. The closest thing were the two Canadians that we ran into. Yeah, right here. <laughs> yeah. And, but that, it was very much an American feel, which was encouraging to see. Now, within your operation, we also saw some cool things within your operational strategies that kind of give you unique experience. Yet a lot of local art laid out on the walls. Yes. Tell us how you set that up so other operators might kind of follow that lead. Yes, I'm from around here, so it was a little easier for me. I just reached out to local artists that whom I, I've known their work. Went to school with and knew them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I knew kind of who I liked and who I wanted to feature on these walls. But what's been a home run for us is we don't have a lot of money to spend in art and certain interior design, yeah, interior yeah, design yeah, things. Yeah. So I just reached out to the artist and I said, listen, I don't want any commission from selling your artwork. Mm-hmm. I'm not in art yeah. business. You're not an art dealer. Yeah, I'm not an art dealer. <laughs> I want, and you guys work hard enough and if you sell it, that's great. Yeah. Because, you Enough know, starving artists out Yeah, there. really. <laughs> um, just, you know, fill our walls. This lady, Amy Mosher, who does all these oil canvas paints, she sold probably 20 of them since we opened. Wow. And they're all original prints. And people come in for dinner. If it's a birthday dinner and the wife likes one, the husband will buy one. Mm -hmm. Um, We have, you know, Amy, there's Rebecca, there's Dan, there's Marcia. There's all these local artists that make 
not just paintings, but wall art mm -hmm. and lithographs and graphic designs and whatever it might be. And we just say, hey, put them on our walls. You know, and I think that's, it's got so many valuable assets within that strategy. One is, you know, you're in a, a bartender by trade, you're a hostel owner, you're, a, you're in real estate now, you got a portfolio, you got enough on your plate. You don't need to be doing interior decorating <laughs> and you don't have the time, maybe not even the passion or the money to do so. As those interior decorators can charge an arm and a leg just to walk through your space That's right. and give you an opinion, you know, that you probably already knew, you know, <laughs> and so. This needs a picture. Yeah. Oh, no, no oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> $2,000 where you could have local artists come in, put up some badass art, fill that void that you don't have, but then back to that community outreach, how popular you are now amongst that artist community. Exactly. You're very yeah. well received. Now they tell their boyfriend, well, this is who I'm selling my art through. Now that guy tells everyone at the mechanic shop, well, that's not a bad place. Yeah, it spreads through because you're interacting with the community in a positive way, in a mutually beneficial way. And I just have always been a big fan of that style of bringing in the local artists. We at our place don't do the consignment camps, but we bring in artists mm -hmm. to paint wall murals mm -hmm. that are Absolutely. more permanent. But then they get to tag it and they Instagram it and they do their thing. So it's some marketing for them and they'll put their information on it. But We've always been such a fan of that and bringing in the community. Great way to showcase a yeah. yeah. yeah, local artist. My buddy Sam Hammer uh, does work stays at hostels. Ah. And he trades, instead of actually working there, he goes, I'll paint a mural. That's it. Shout out Golden Milk. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But that's it. You know, that is a great way to get the community involved, a great way to bring a unique decor to your spot, and just a really cool way to fill that void of interior decor, which a lot of us just don't have the time or the money to handle. Or the eye, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd have everything decorated with like bear skins and everything. You oh, know? I saw the show, she's like, you want something real regal, like gold and red tapestries <laughs> with like the paisley prints. That's <laughs> so true. So yeah, that's a really cool thing that you got going on there. Now, how about just a little bit more over into the restaurant side of things, what kind of food do you serve? Yeah, so uh, great question. We have a very limited menu, about 15 items. It's mm -hmm. all meant to be shared. As you can see, we don't have heat lamps. It's not a proper industrial kitchen, sure. a commercial kitchen by any yeah. means, because we weren't a restaurant when we opened up. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we have a great chef. She is from Weston, which is just over what we call Terrible Mountain, mm -hmm. uh, about 15 minutes away. She did her, her residency to be a chef in Italy, so she's quite good. She knows what the hell she's doing. We make everything from scratch. She hand rolls her own pasta, oh, wow. hand makes her own ice cream, hand makes her own bread, hand makes literally every single thing on the menu. That's awesome. And we just serve them in big dishes. When it's ready, it's ready. It's all family style. And we've cultivated quite a following because of that, just doing it how we would like to eat. Yeah. When, yeah. when I go out, yeah. I don't want just a steak. I want a little bit of Eliza's chicken. I want a little bit of John's salmon. Yeah. 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 So by doing it this way, we're able to... That's awesome. I think I'd enjoy it here. I'm the youngest, youngest of six kids. So by just growing up, I thought that's how everyone <laughs> yeah. ate. I was like, what do you mean? I can't touch your plate. Everyone touches my plate. <laughs> so watch out when we go out to eat later tonight. <laughs> but I think that's an awesome thing. And I, uh, the Hostel Tavari episode, he was talking uh, a lot about just keeping it simple, mm -hmm. you know, and, and not overdoing it and not trying to overextend yourself. And as we talked about last episode, everyone's got an opinion about a bar. You should do this, you should do yeah. that. And if you hear all that noise, you can really get off course. Yeah. Now, what would you say the average plate price or menu item would be? Uh, I would put the average per head with a cocktail and gratuity around $50. That's great, you know? Mm -hmm. But for everything being 
made with hand fresh ingredients and kind of a farm to table type of aspect. That's yeah, that's a we, good deal. Again, you have to price it as almost what would you pay? Mm-hmm. What do you think will be the best profit for you guys? Well, not just you know, if I was in this for the money, yeah. I'd be playing with people's money down on Wall Street. I wouldn't be, you know, yes. running yeah. a hostel. Yeah, 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 yeah. You made that choice I, a while back. I want to <laughs> have a sense of community. I want to meet people. Mm-hmm. I want to do what I do here. This is yeah. what I want to do. Yeah. So I, I'm not a greedy person by nature. Neither is my business partner. Mm-hmm. So we do profit sharing with our employees. We That's pay them great. when we close down on vacation. They still okay. get a paycheck. There's certain things that we do, and it's not all about the money. So when you go to a place like this. And all of a sudden, you know, an entree is $30 for a steak. Mm. Well, realistically, who are you going after? What is that demographic? Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. Um, trial by fire. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now, and then just pivoting quickly, tell us a bit about this cocktail list. I mean, you said you're bartending by trade, shaking it up. Love I wish we didn't have to hit the road because I just sat <laughs> off at that bar right there for the rest of the night. But tell us about your, your, one of your favorite or staple, most popular craft cocktails that you make in here? I would say it's a drink called the Good Old Boy. Oh. Um, which is... like you, Mr. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brown butter bourbon drink with pear nectar, spice burnt orange syrup, lemon, Angostura bitters, Amaro. And honestly, it is quite fucking delicious in the fall. Oh. And I designed it for a fall menu. Nice. It comes with a nice dehydrated blowtorched orange on top of a big cube. Oh, you're really a mixologist here. Okay. But it was so popular for the fall that I kept it on for the winter because yeah. I change menus seasonally. Yeah. And I took it off for spring because who wants to drink brown butter, spice burnt orange drink in the spring? I had a revolt. People, <laughs> people walking out like, oh, you don't have the good old boy? I'm like, nah, man, try this one. They're like, nah, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> so I want to go check out the other place. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. I, you never know what's going to be your swan song. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that one turned out to be. But that's a great example, too, for you know, listeners out there that you you got to stay creative and you got to try things and you got to be bold and you got to be brave when you do try things. But then you still got to listen to your guests. And sometimes yeah. you're not going to be right. And sometimes you're going to pull something out they still want. Sometimes you're going to be like, they're going to love this. And be like, what do you mean you don't love it? You know, I thought everyone would want to play Risk with me tonight. <laughs> But you got to try these things yep. out and be bold and see how it goes. Um, and I think that's a great example of how to operate a, a nice restaurant bar, keeping it simple, doing what you believe in. It's passion for you, so it's going to come through in that. And the biggest thing I can possibly say to anybody that is looking to be a hostel owner or is already a hostel owner, and you know you pour your blood, sweat, tears, mm-hmm. life, soul, energy into this business, and you work at it and you love it and you believe in it, and if somebody leaves you a shitty review on Yelp or somebody is rude to you at the reception desk or somebody doesn't like a cocktail behind the bar, don't get your feelings hurt. Yes. Don't. Take it in stride and yeah. say, you know what? You can't please everybody. If you're doing what works well for you and you're happy with the product and you're happy with your work and what you put in, fuck everybody else. That's a great, <laughs> you know, that's let it great go. advice. It's, it, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Learn that in four agreements there. But you know, <laughs> you, you've got to, it's so true because when you do put yourself into it and you lay it all out there and everyone identifies you as the owner and it's a rare thing and more and more of a rare thing to have the mom and pop shop as we have Walmarts and all these big things popping up, you really are taking it on the chin sometimes mm-hmm. and you can't let that stuff get you down or take it personal because then you're going to lose your momentum. That's right. And that person then. That, 
the only reason why they do that, yep. I think, is because they're a deeply unhappy person. They want to bring other people down. Yes, exactly. And I you're, so. yeah, you're thriving and you're smiling and you're loving life and you're can't stand it. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> I need to rip that motherfucker down or I'm not gonna sleep tonight. You know, and they're out there and you have to be ready for it because. When you take this bold jump into being a hostile manager or owner, you're going to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. Thick skin. And watch the South Park episode. You're not yelping. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Okay. I wouldn't recommend doing anything in that episode that pertains to what yeah, they yeah. do, but it good is relevant. quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're going to be back after the short break, and we'll be closing up here with Justin at the Homestyle Hostel in Vermont. It has been an absolute pleasure thus far. <laughs> Welcome back to Hostel Road Trip. Jimmy Black here with Eric Faria, Bobby Dyer, and our man Justin from the Homestyle Hostel. Hey! We are wrapping it up here, but it has been such a cool episode. This house, the bones of this building, the layout, the flow, the restaurant, the bar, such a cool experience all under one roof. And as I mentioned before, I just love how you're right on the main strip, literally just step out onto the main road and uh, all the action and restaurants and bars are all here. So it's really kind of got that almost Wild West feel. Okay, like throw a paintball yeah. shootout in the back. <laughs> yeah, and then right off of the backside of the house, you've really got a river running right behind you. Yes. I mean, this is just cool outdoor, but centrally located. A really great spot that you got to come see. And if you've uh, just been at the Burlington, Vermont hostel, a very short drive away to come down here and see you guys. So definitely recommend it. But we want to talk a bit about that potential guest experience that we're talking to out there listening and here, what would they be able to do in, let's say, the perfect day in this town? So we are going into foliage, which is a great time of year for Vermont. So why a lot of uh, Vermonters like Vermont, actually. We like mm -hmm. the changing in the seasons and we like all of the uh, atmosphere shifts that go along with that. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, perfect foliage day. Uh, we do check-ins at three. So depending on what time you got here, you could drop your luggage off in the mudroom. We'd be happy to store it for you in a, in a locked basement. I would drop off my items. I would go up to one of the beautiful local farms that we have, either a dairy cow farm or nice. a sheep farm. And I would literally just walk around, take some pictures. We're called the Green Mountains. It's more uh, green hills, but there's a lot of plateaus that you can go up to, overlook just acres and acres of beautiful changing trees. Oh, man. You can almost feel it in the atmosphere as you take a deep breath. You Jenny Farm. Feel it in the air, yeah. Yeah, Jenny Farm's a very famous one, about 20 minutes east of here in Redding, Vermont. Mm -hmm. So I would start with that. Vermont, I don't know if they still do, but we did have the most breweries per capita out of any state in the in the union. I think we had heard that stat in Burlington last night too. So, so if it's still there, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would go and drink a beer after mm -hmm. looking at some trees. I'd say, God, it makes me thirsty. I'm gonna drink beer. <laughs> go drink an Oktoberfest or something. I'm just exhausted. Yeah. Or go for a, a cocktail with some muddled leaves in it or something. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I would go to a brewery. I always liked Woodstock. Woodstock is a town that it's about 30 miles north of here. It was built by the Rockefellers. Okay. They would come up and uh, travel. This is where they kept all their horses and a couple oh. of their farming items. So that's a beautiful town, walkable, really, really great little yeah. uh, Those town. Those one percenters tend to have good taste with it. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like a real-life Sim City, Sim Village or something. It's weird. Oh. So I would check that out. There's beautiful lakes region where the 
hues and the pops of the color off the trees actually reflect off the lake. And with like a little bit of fog, it's just damn near the best thing I've ever seen. Awesome. Um, if you haven't gotten the, the gist of what I'm trying to say, outdoor, just outdoor. go outdoors. There's so much to do. Now, in that, I mean, uh, the foliage, you know, I, and we can see it starting to turn a little bit in some areas on our drive, and it's so beautiful. But we also saw that you had the, the mud room and construction in the back, which looked like kind of the entrance for when you're snowboarding or skiing. What is the, the local mountain option for that in the wintertime when you're doing that snowboarding? Yeah, so we have Okemo Mountain Resort. The cool thing about Ludlow and the real charm of Ludlow, as opposed to a lot of other ski resort towns in Vermont and probably in America, is the ski resort tends to own the whole town and it's just one big resort town. Ah. Ludlow is Okemo Mountain Resort and Ludlow, Vermont. There's two very, very different styles of stay. Okay. So... Okimo is our home mountain. I am 1.5 miles to the first chairlift out of wow. this front door. Wow, that's so it's close. super, super close. The shuttle stops right here and actually drops people off at my property across so they the street. Could, they could park the yeah. car and forget about it. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, it's that's perfect. Skiing, snowboarding is a big thing for me and for the culture and for everybody that works here and lives here. You know, we buy our manager's season's passes. We go up together on our lunch breaks. That's um, great. We go skiing. I've met numerous friends just from being here that have stayed with us. We keep in communication. They come up, we go snowboarding together. That's just a, a great little yeah, community. Yeah, that, that's a nice touch with the, getting the manager's passes. We have a, a location on Big Bear Mountain in Southern California. And during the ski season, we get manager's passes. Yeah. We'll do our manager retreat up there with all the San Diego people. And it's really, actually, there's Big Bear calling me right now. Uh, but, <laughs> Here's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listening live. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's a really cool experience to share. And I think one of the cool things is in the hostel environment, when you get that solo skier or snowboarder that comes in by themselves, and then you see them walk off to the slopes of five or six people in a group. Exactly. Really cool to see And that. especially with the dorms. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the dorms are versatile here because Okima is a family mountain, so you get families that will rent out the whole dorm and just yeah. use it as their private space. Or you'll get six totally random people, and then all of a sudden they'll chat, they'll have a few beers, have some dinner. They're best friends, and they're you know yeah. snowboarding together. So and, together. And, and that was back to what we were talking about at the beginning, about not only protecting this hostile experience in its genuine form, but promoting it and standing behind it and being proud of it because it really is a fulfilling thing to see that chemistry happen. And see the relationship sparked. And, the world needs a little yeah. bit more love, yes. doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. We can do that. We will. Amen. Anytime. All right. Well, it has been just an absolute pleasure. We need to hit the road before I start drinking these signature craft cocktails <laughs> and make our way to Portland for the next episode. But I want to thank you so much, Justin, from the Homestyle Hostel in Vermont here. Well, thank you, dudes. Yeah, it was thank awesome. You. Absolute pleasure. Love meeting y'all. And a shout out to Bobby Dyer. I had a great time here with Justin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Eric Faria from World Pack. Thank you so much for introducing us to the hostel and the podcast was great. Oh. Our pleasure, guys. If you're ever in little quaint Ludlow, Vermont, which is a ski town with a drinking problem, come and see us. <laughs> that is a great closing. Until next episode, we'll see you on the Hostel Road Trip. Yeah.